Welcome to the Dietitian Rehab Podcast, where we not only challenge and inspire dietitians to think outside the traditional dogmatic education, training, and attitudes for a mind wide open, but also to challenge anyone to think differently about their own health. We'll talk all things food, health, and nutrition related as we explore points of view, evidence, and strategies for better health that will allow you a fuller understanding of the hot topics that everybody's talking and asking about. Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode. I am your host, Doug Cook, and today's intro is a little longer because we have two amazing guests that we need to introduce the listeners to. The first is Sheila Dean. She is a registered and licensed dietitian nutritionist and board-certified integrative and functional medicine practitioner. She was the owner of Palm Harbor Center for Health and Healing, an integrative and functional medicine-based private practice and wellness center in Palm Harbor, Florida for 17 years. She's a published author, a national speaker, and media spokesperson. Dr. Dean has taught nutrition science for 21 years as adjunct professor at the University of Tampa, the University of South Florida Morsani School of Medicine, Maryland University of Integrative Health, Schiller International University, Saybrook University, and St. Petersburg. And Kathy Swift is also a registered dietitian who has been dubbed the mother of integrative and functional nutrition by thought leaders in the field. She is the recipient of the Visionary Leadership and Lifetime Achievement Award by the Dietitians in Integrative and Functional Medicine, which is a dietetic practice group of AND, or the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics in the U.S. And she's also been recognized by the magazine Today's Dietitians as a dietitian making a difference. Kathy is the co-author of The Inside Tract, Your Good Gut Guide to Health, and a contributing author to Dr. Hyman's New York Times bestseller, Ultra Metabolism. Her recent book, The Swift Diet, Four Weeks to Mend the Belly, Lose the Fat, and Get Rid of the Bloat, features the latest science on the microbiome. So both Sheila and Kathy are the co-founders of IFNA, the Integrative and Functional Nutrition Academy, a comprehensive online training and mentoring program designed to teach healthcare practitioners how to seek the true root causes of disease to restore optimal health and function, and ultimately transform the practice of nutrition using the most effective integrative and functional nutrition diagnostic tools and treatment protocols for preventing and reversing chronic disease. So they have graciously offered a coupon to listeners today for their online program for tracks one and four, and the coupon code is GETSTARTED20%. So that's get started, the number two zero and the percent sign get started 20%. So you can use that towards the purchases of track one and track four. So finally, let's get on with the show. Great. Well, Sheila and Kathy, welcome to the show. I'm very happy and pleased that you've agreed to be on today to talk about all things integrative and functional nutrition. I know the audience, which is a mix of dietitians, nutritionists, other health professionals, and even members of the public will find it really interesting both from a practice point of view, but also as a potentially from a using it as, as a way to help people deal with health issues if they're looking for this mod, uh, form of treatment or modality. So again, welcome to the show. Thank you, Doug. It's good to be here with you. Yeah, thanks, Doug. 
My pleasure. So I think that what will help everybody is just to get a little orientation to this concept of integrative and functional nutrition, what it is, what it is, isn't. So I guess we'll just start with a basic question, like what is integrative and functional nutrition? Well, that's a great question. <laughs> I think if I had to give you my bottom line answer, I would say when you think about integrative and functional nutrition, you want to think about root causes, identifying root causes using a systems biology approach. Bottom line, so that when a patient presents with a particular condition, naturally there are symptoms. And, and of course, there's nothing wrong with wanting to address those symptoms. But with integrative and functional nutrition, we take it a step further. The idea is that through a thorough assessment, and naturally, you have to be able to ask the right questions to come up with the right answers, right? So by asking the right questions, by doing a thorough assessment, it'll help to lead to identifying some root causes. And then once you, you have some of these, um, that information, you can then proceed with a systems biology approach to patient care. And that, in a nutshell, is, is the distinction between integrative and functional nutrition and a conventional approach, which doesn't tend to focus so much on root causes. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's key. So I'm sure everybody knows I'm a dietitian myself. And when I think about traditional training and practice over the past 20 years, what you know, other dietitians might now be reflecting on in the public, if anyone in the audience is a general public member, the, you know, the difference is, you know, a symptom might just be something like high blood sugar. And so you might manage that high blood sugar if you have prediabetes or diabetes by, you know, using insulin and yes, looking at carbs. But if it's prediabetes or type 2 diabetes, there's an underlying, as you say, root cause for that. And sure. If you're just chasing the sugar, that doesn't really get to the root cause, which would be insulin, hyperinsulinemia, which requires sort of a, a deeper approach and, as you say, a more systems approach. Is that a, is that, is yeah, that I think, kind of? Yeah, no, I think that's, that's, that's a great example. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong, there's definitely something to be said about identifying symptoms. And I mean, for example, if your patient comes in with a very elevated blood pressure, you know, we need to get that BP down ASAP, right? And so if a physician wants to put his, his or her patient on some kind of medication to get the blood pressure down right there and then, that's a good thing. We don't want anybody stroking out, right? But then the next question, the next step then needs to be, okay, you know, we've got you stabilized and now we need to sit down and have a conversation about lifestyle you know, environmental factors and, and, and all of that so that we can really get to the root and really understand what's going on with the patient. Yeah, and it's an important distinction, and not an important distinction, but rather important point to clarify. And I've always said, obviously, I shouldn't say obviously, but I've said myself, it's like, you know, no one's anti-medication, no one's anti-traditional right. medicine. There's a time and place, and if it's warranted, for sure you want to get those numbers down in your example with the high blood pressure. But if we all know that if we just throw an anti 
hypertensive medication on there, eventually it will, quote, wear out, for lack of a better word. And then you have to up the dose or add more. And sometimes that's warranted, but there could be other things to get to that root cause, as you say. So that's, right. that's good to, to clarify. And I, and I would only add, you know, that that's, that's where this conversation needs to delineate between acute issues and chronic issues. So, you know, the patient walking in with the really elevated BP, that is acute in nature and needs to be addressed right away, right? But then once patient stabilized, you know, now we need to think about a different model. And I think this is where, you know, the lines get blurred and it starts getting confusing because we're trying to sometimes in, you know, traditional medicine, we're using a wonderful model for acute care medicine, but then, you know, if it's applied to chronic disease, it's not exactly fitting, if that makes sense. It does. And I'm wondering if you could just clarify for everybody what you mean by a systems approach when it comes to just, I guess, broadly speaking, or you can go into as much depth as you want, a systems approach if you're tackling a problem or looking at a a situation. Sure. I'll give you a quick example, right? The patient comes in and they're complaining about, let's say their stomach hurts, you know, they've got intestinal issues or digestive issues. And they're saying, oh, and by the way, I have this weird skin issue going on. And also, you know, I have these headaches, right? So in traditional medicine, we only be paying attention at one symptom at a time right? So the patient's entire story is not really being integrated. And we're really just looking at maybe the chief complaint. And we're looking at the symptoms in silos, right? Where each complaint becomes this discrete issue that's dealt in isolation from the others. And again, they're not integrated. And and so a systems approach is really an integrative approach where we're thinking about and assessment questions that help us understand what might be the underlying, we're going back to, you know, what we said, the definition of IFN, which is the underlying root causes that can help explain, all right, so what is going on here that's causing this digestive distress and these skin issues and maybe these headaches where there could be some kind of commonality or so, and of course, so, so looking at the different systems as an integrated whole rather than separating those those systems out into separate silos if that makes sense it does and it's important like i understand i've never done a, a, hist- a history review on this but i think in the early days of medicine a couple centuries ago you're looking at a complex system like the body and you think okay well we've got the gi tract the gastrointestinal tract we've got skin so you start to look at it in a more reductive manner to really understand each of those systems and organs and etc but as you point out the whole fact that is it's, it's all integrated and i think people might be really surprised if they're not familiar with the idea that something like a skin issue could be really related to the gut so sure. you know, you've got the gut the gut's made up of muscles and the gut has the immune system embedded in it it has tons of nerves embedded in it it's got microbiota which everybody knows about now and it's connected to the brain and mood. And so, you know, we've got these system specialties. We've got a GI doc or, you know, field of specialty. Then we've got this, the nerve people, the skin people. And as you say, we treat them in silos and forget about the, the overlap. So, yeah, so the, that systems approach is certainly, to me, is, is obvious. But I think it's important to stress for sure. I'll add that 
in a systems approach, what is essential is thinking through uh, really what can be considered imbalances in these systems. For example, in the person with, let's just say, a chronic pain condition, thinking about an inflammatory basis, as Sheila mentioned, you know, root cause of that, oxidative stress, detoxification, dysbiosis, what's happening in the immune system with much of that immune system, you know, being in the gut. So this model of using systems biology appreciates that there may be these imbalances, no matter what the condition is, right? whether we're working with someone with IBS, SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, rheumatoid arthritis, cardiovascular disease, it's really, really important that the, the approach takes into consideration and digs deep into these various areas and networks of imbalance. Gotcha. Yeah, that's helpful for sure because, yeah, inflammation is a great example. So for whatever reason, if someone's having inflammation, if I'm understanding you, that's going. that always involves the immune system. And then that can involve so many other things where it inter- intersects with other organs and, and systems and cells and that type of thing. So it really is, I guess, starting at a 35,000 foot view, because looking at that holistic, that big picture, seeing those interconne- interconnected parts like a map, maybe, I'm just kind of thinking this out loud now, and then seeing where that where it might need that attention to kind of Right. And and we'll use everything for example and thinking about um, moving from signs and symptoms in a functionally nutrition-focused physical exam, for example, to with regard to inflammation, certainly thinking about biomarkers, both conventionally, something like C-reactive protein or other functional markers that we may be looking at. So it's also the application or the use of perhaps conventional and functional labs and diagnostics that can help us target and create an intervention plan that truly is going to be unique to that individual. Mm -hmm. That's very, it takes a lot of work for sure. It's not the easy route, which is I'm just trying to think, I don't want to downplay traditional dietetics, but I'm, when I am hear you speaking and if other dietitians are listening or other people who've gone to see maybe healthcare practitioners and dietitians as patients or clients, which the picture you're painting is very, very different than traditional dietetics and certainly what I learned in my internship. So to help people understand a little bit better, could you kind of separate or compare and contrast the differences between integrative and functional nutrition versus traditional dietetics? Sure. First, I want to you know mention that both Sheila and I were trained conventionally, traditional dietetics, and believe that it is an excellent foundation for expanding into an integrative and functionally nutrition-oriented practice because the dietitian has 
knowledge in physiology, biochemistry, microbiology. Don't we know that microbiology with the microbiome research has certainly come into the scene? So they really have an excellent foundation for this. In fact, most RDs, when they begin to study and learn about these concepts, functional concepts, it makes sense to them. And they see that an integrative and functional nutrition approach is grounded heavily in science. But there's, I would, you know, just say that there's some key areas that certainly I think have been shortcomings in our traditional dietetic education where integrative and functional nutrition training programs such as ours you know, seeks to fill these gaps. And hopefully we're, we're doing this very successfully. And that is that we're really skill building and, and developing competencies in key clinical areas. So I'll just mention a few. And one certainly is in a food as medicine approach using therapeutic elimination diets, whether it's histamine, specific carbohydrate diet, autoimmune, paleo type, So we dig deep into these therapeutic elimination diets. I think another area is, of course, looking at conventional labs through a functional lens. In other words, if a reference value is a certain level, is that truly an optimal level? Is normal optimal for functioning? They can be they can be different. Also, other functional labs and diagnostics, including everything from nutrigenetic testing. In fact, sometimes we think about nutrigenetic testing, nutrigenomics is kind of a last resort when if we did have some information on genetics, whether it's, you know, methylation or inflammatory um, SNPs, uh, single nucleotide polymorphisms or such, it can be really very, very helpful. Functional labs like, you know, an organic acid test, and there's, there's many others. So we certainly, I didn't get that in my traditional dietetic training. And we really need to get up to speed with regard to this. It, it is the nature, really, of a systems uh, medicine approach. I think the other area, of course, is dietary supplements. And there truly is both an art and science to that. We can talk about that more in depth. And then the other area that is, I think, very, very important are, of course, mind-body modalities, meditation, breathing techniques, and and others that uh, certainly we want to be familiar with. We want to practice ourselves and integrate these into a holistic um, nutrition care plan. So those are some of the areas that we dig a lot deeper into that can make a difference in our patient outcomes. Right. Did you want to add anything, Sheila, before I commented? Because she's bringing, Kathy's comments brought up a lot of things within me. Yeah, no. I mean, I think what Kathy said really kind of was an excellent summary of the various modalities that, you know, we're taking into account as part of our assessment when trying to get to those root causes. And the thing about it is that is because there's so much to go through, because there's so much information, 
because we're taking such a deep dive, there has to be some kind of methodology to this, you know, because it's really easy to just kind of get go all over the place and achieve nothing. So that's, you know, and that's really what our training program does. It, it really, we start from the beginning and really show, break it down and show you how to start with an assessment, a root cause analysis, and, you know, where to take it from there. It's, and what you start to realize is that, I mean, that obviously this is based in science, but there's also an art to all of this. There's no doubt. Yeah, for sure. There's an art. And when Kathy was speaking, I think you kind of very, whether you realize it or not, have summed up, I think, a lot of, well, for sure, my personal experience, but a lot of other dietitians, and especially dietitians who I've talked to about integrative and functional nutrition, because if I can just indulge everybody for a second, when I think about my interest in nutrition, I was just naturally inquisitive as a kid. I liked health. I liked food. I had done some reading on nutrition and I was learning about vitamins and immunity and a whole bunch of different things. And so I thought, well, I'll go to school and study it. So I went to the program that I went to here in Toronto was horrible. I was really, really let down and I became quite disenchanted or disillusioned. And then I did my internship. I started working in the hospital. I was really, you know, confident in my clinical skills, I wouldn't be the clinician I was. So to Kathy's point, dietitians have a really strong foundational education and training. But then I was left flat. And then I stumbled upon all the stuff, integrative mm-hmm. and functional nutrition. And I just it was like Christmas morning or whatever resonates for people because it was like, yes, this is what got me excited in nutrition. This yeah. is what I thought I was going to study when I went back to school. It just has so much more breadth and depth. And I know It's not that dietitians don't want to offer more. Unless you go on to a little more training and education, you can't really offer more than what a lot of us do in practice. But there is so much more that we can do. So there is, as Kathy says, a lot of shortcomings in the sense that there's so much more that we can do as dietitians. And I really think dietitians are in the best possible position to run with this with the proper training like you have with your academy and your online courses. Because as we all know, there's a lot of nutritionists out there or people calling themselves nutritionists that might have some dodgy or sketchy education. So I think it's really something that we could run with as a profession if people want to do that skill build, as as Kathy said. So that's a really, really important part. I think a point, I really think people are hungry for this. But uh, again, without the right training, they, they might feel like they're floundering a bit. Well, and I think what you guys are speaking to here is the fact that we, you can only offer as much as the tools in your toolkit. So, I mean, if you have a basic hammer and a good, you know, screwdriver, that's great. Mm -hmm. But, you know, for some of this, for some of the more complicated and advanced chronic conditions, I mean, autoimmunity is huge. And I know that when I was in private practice, you know, people weren't walking in with one autoimmune condition. Sometimes they were walking in with three or four autoimmune conditions. And, you know, even with uh, going back to just a patient with diabetes, you know, as a dietitian, we're trained to, to kind of go over carb counting, which is fantastic. And I would never abandon that approach. I think carb counting is a great tool in my toolkit. What we learn in functional nutrition is that there are more tools that I can use There are more tools that we can use to really understand how we can improve the patient's health and their outcomes so that we're looking at, as Kathy said, now we're able to look at labs more critically. For example, are we really going to wait 
until the patient presents with type 2 diabetes or even borderline diabetes. Why don't let's run a let's run a fasting insulin and let's see if they're hyperinsulinemic. We all know that you can be hyperinsulinemic with a normal blood glucose, right? And that would be way earlier in this health and disease continuum and a lot cheaper and easier to make modifications and modulate at that point than when a person's way on the other side of the spectrum spectrum presenting with type 2 diabetes. And so, you know, and the use of dietary supplements, the, the appropriate and the responsible use of dietary supplements could be another thing to take into consideration as part of your toolkit. For example, again, carb counting, that's wonderful. And it's an important part of medical nutrition therapy for the patient with diabetes. But we also know that insulin needs to dock into a receptor and then that, that reaction is nutrient dependent, dependent on certain really critical minerals and especially vitamin D. So we might want to run a vitamin D, we might want to recommend vitamin D and all of these things, especially dietary supplement recommendations are in fact within the scope of practice for dietitians. And so I think just keeping in mind that the more tools you have in your toolkit, the more you can do for your patient. Yeah, I like that. I like that analogy with the toolkit. You start with what you have and then you you build on that. And even as you build on that, you can use what you have. You don't have to wait until you've, you know, done five years of study. You can do it along the way. You brought up two amazing points that I want to just comment on. One is the one that Kathy mentioned and you did too, is this idea of functional lab testing. So what I find interesting and what a lot of people don't understand, even doctors, when I think about the, I work in a hospital still. So a perfect example, what might help people understand this is, you know, a nutrient has to be used in a metabolic pathway properly and adequately to promote that metabolic function. So a perfect example is B12. So I work in a geriatric unit and, you know, we run B12s on people and they come back and they're normal to normal high and sometimes high. So the assumption is they're more than B12 replete, that they don't need any B12 supplementation. Other parameters are normal, like the MCV, et cetera. But the B vitamin might not be being used. And so it's kind of building up like a bottleneck. So if we were running other things like methylmalonic acid or these other metabolites of B12, you would see that it's not being used. So it's functionally deficient. And if we had a functional test, then that would be more accurate or a better, it would have more utilities is, if right. I'm getting this right. Yeah, no, that's a great example. I mean, the presence of a vitamin in the blood doesn't always reflect tissue levels. And so it can be a little confusing. Just like you said, you run the patient's B12 levels and oh, look, they're normal or even high normal. But that doesn't necessarily always mean that their tissue levels are where they need to be. And sometimes to know what's going on there, we would have to run some type of functional lab. And in this case, in the case of B12, you could look at a methylmalonic acid, which by the way, is available via labs like Quest and LabCorp. They're not so obscure that you can only go through boutique laboratories. It's just that they're not necessarily part of standard of care. And this is what's unfortunate. You know, you, uh, you know, you have to, that you're we're sometimes in a position where we have to dis- decide whether we want state-of-the-art versus standard of care. <laughs> Yeah. And for me, it's a little different because I'm in Canada. So we do have a healthcare system here, but they cover the basics in the name of saving money. So like many places, we do fasting blood sugar 
an A1C. And as, as you said, you can have high insulin and normal blood sugar and yeah. everything's quote fine until I'm, I'm not sure what the US units are, but for me, it's 6.1 millimoles because medicine is the treatment model. So by definition, it's reactionary. So at 6.1, the doctor says, oh, I have a treatment. It's metformin. Up until that point, they don't really have a treatment. And so when I went to my physical last time, I said, you have to do fasting insulin. I want to calculate my HOMA IR, which is an mm-hmm. indicator of insulin resistance. So I think I had to pay $30 out of pocket because our insurer, our, the provincial insurer, is not going to do that because it's, quote, seen as too expensive. But then as you just said, when we wait, it's too late. Someone has diabetes, we're paying way, 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 way more. So it does seem short-sighted in that regard. So I, I really feel like integrative and functional nutrition can be a lot more preventative and proactive than traditional. And if, if people knew, I think things would change. It's just frustrating. Well, you know, and it's it's the little, you know, Kathy mentioned earlier that we are both conventionally trained, originally conventionally trained dietitians, and we value that training. But I do remember before I was introduced to principles of integrative and functional medicine, functional nutrition, you know, we're skeptical because what we learned was evidence-based, science-based. And so, you know, we're taught to be skeptical, which is not a bad thing. I mean, critical thinking is important, but I think what we came to learn was that as we continue to investigate, to independently investigate principles of integrative and functional medicine, we started to realize that there is indeed a lot of evidence in the literature, in PubMed, and wow, depending on what medical conference you go to, each organization tends to, you know, cherry pick the data a little bit. And so, you know, that that's why I felt like I needed to just kind of do my own independent investigation and, and learn, you know, well, what really is out there? And I remember this all happened years and years ago, like about two decades ago, where I wanted to learn, you know, what, what's the bottom line on organics? Because it just became such a popular thing. And, you know, I wasn't sure, I was skeptical. And that was one of the very first steps in me bumping into principles of integrative and functional nutrition and learning that, oh, well, look at, there is a ton of data out here. And of course, I have to say that my colleague, Kathy Swift, is the queen of PubMed and is a research ninja (laughs) and has her fingers. I mean, you know, her work is impeccable and uh, she's truly on the leading edge of research. So I'm very fortunate. (laughs) Speaking of tools in your toolbox, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I had something to say. I don't know if Kathy wants to chime in, but I'll speak for myself. So I found that, yes, it is a reality that we dietitians tend to be skeptical. There's a difference between being skeptical you know, you don't want to just jump on the bandwagon with right. everything. But there is a bit of resistance in my experience where it really takes a lot of like, it's not just a knock on the door, you have to take a sledgehammer to the door and say, look at there is evidence that, you know, vitamin D preserves, you know, pancreas function and type two diabetes or prediabetes. Um, they may need more than the 1000 units that Health Canada has limited, you know, the supplements to have or, there is the possibility that you know, a so-called healthy diet is not enough to give enough vitamins and minerals, and it's not a bad thing to, to use supplements. So there is this resistance, and I find it interesting. But to your point, there's heaps and heaps of research out there that we're just not exposed to. And I think that's one of the challenges I've found in my early career that 
we weren't getting that through reg regular dietetic channels of education and training unless you went to kind of like a specialized, like we have a Canadian nutritional science organization here. They're not dietitians. They're primary researchers in this area. And so if you're not going to those things, you're not going to get it at our conferences and that kind of thing. So I had a question and I, you know, you feel free to answer or not answer because I'm quite vocal on this. I don't understand why dietitians are hesitant to recommend or use supplements. And if you look at surveys, I think about 70% of dietitians use them. So they're closeted supplement users, right, right. but they don't in publics want to admit it. I have my theories. Do you have any ideas what you think why dietitians might be resistant? Well, I think some of that comes from a ten, first of all, I think a lack of good training in the responsible and judicious use of dietary supplements. And I think also some of it comes from, you know, a dietitian certainly perhaps being concerned without having a good knowledge base, being concerned that they might do harm right. to someone. But but there is a reality in, in at least in the U.S., uh, over 60 million folks are self-prescribing. They're spending in excess of 30 billion in dietary supplements, including you know herbals, to address what? To address their health concerns. I mentioned chronic pain, anxiety, bone health, menopause. I mean, and the list goes on. And I think it's critical that we as dietitians realize this, that we should be taking the lead. We should be the early adopters versus the hesitant bystanders to really guide patients in this area. As Sheila mentioned, it is in our scope of practice. We understand that there could be a drug supplement interaction. And so I think it's so important. And we really made sure that in almost in each and every module where appropriate, we have separate modules too in our training program on dietary supplements taught by a professor at Bastyr University. We have a robust clinical toolkit. Our students also have access to the natural medicine database, which includes both practitioner and patient handouts. So we appreciate there is a science. You bet. There's been a recent paper published, you know, just recently, for example, on dietary supplements for neuropathic pain. There's other research articles, certainly on, on the use of fish oils and turmeric with inflammatory disorders, how to help prevent someone progressing from osteopenia to osteoporosis with vitamin D and vitamin K2. And, you know, I could go on and on. The woman who's trying to conceive, and perhaps we identify she has methylation issues where some B vitamins, certainly methylated B vitamins could be helpful in an appropriate dose. So again, I, for so long, um, 40 plus years, have had a, a tremendous passion for our profession. And it does concern me. I don't want dietitians being left behind. You know, as you, Doug, mentioned, Doug, there's, there's other, you know, professionals, certainly, getting involved and we want dietitians to take the lead in this 
arena, I think because they're very well positioned for the responsible and judicious um, use of dietary supplements is part of an integrative nutrition care plan. You know, I, Kathy, I think everything that she said I, is spot on. I also just want to add that, you know, and this is, this is um, just going to take a moment to get kind of real here, folks. Dietitians go through a lot of science training, as Kathy mentioned, right? Biology, chemistry, organic chemistry, physiology, microbiology. So you go through all of this training. And now in the U.S., in the year 2024, dietitians are now going to even be required to have a master's degree. So all of this training, the last thing a dietitian wants anyone to perceive him or her as is some kind of quack prescribing or recommending supplements when you're working in an environment where it's scoffed at or frowned upon. It's not easy to to rise above that and to, it's, it takes some guts, you know, so it de- I think a lot of it depends on the environment that you're in. Mm-hmm. If you're in a very forward thinking environment where your colleagues and your fellow RDs are, are sort of on the, the cutting edge and, and they're, and they're comfortable with, as Kathy said, the responsible and judicious use of dietary supplements you'll probably feel more comfortable with it as well and will probably be more likely to be willing to at least look at the data. But let's face it, if your colleagues and your friends and your RDs and you know the MDs you work with, if they're all poo-pooing the idea, it's you know, it's easy to jump on that bandwagon without without really taking the true scientific method approach, right? And really looking at it as objectively and independently as possible. And, you know, so these, these kinds of concepts, I mean, you know, it takes a while for the clinical world to catch up with research, with research. And I think I I even read that it takes like 50 to a hundred years or something for what we have already shown in research for that to actually now be part of clinical care. So there's a dynamic there that we don't really talk about, but I think I think that might be a, one layer. Yeah, you're both very uh, much more articulate than I am about this topic. Maybe a little more forgiving. I guess sometimes I get impatient. So it's important, I guess, for me to kind of cut some slack to everybody because of the history of, of how we're trained, et cetera. I've always wondered if the history of the profession has been food-based and if they recommend supplements if somehow dropped the ball, I don't know, I've never, no one will ever answer my question. Or if they've just, we've all bought into the idea of, if you look at the early food guides, it was all about preventing deficiencies during wartime so that if we, if someone's not walking around with scurvy, then diet's done its job. And that we, the next step is a medical intervention or a drug. And what I find baffling is that we forget that nutrients are nothing more than these chemicals and molecules that aid physiology and biochemistry. And so it's 
takes more faith to think that they can't have a beneficial role, provided it's standardized and it's the right dose and all the usual things that we need to consider, that it couldn't augment. And I think the research in genetics, as Kathy mentioned, SNPs, these little mutations that might need special forms of a vitamin or higher doses will will change that and eventually will come out of the closet. But yeah, there's a lot of, there's historically been a, a bit of shaming and bullying around that. For the record, I love supplements. I've always used them. I had them growing up as a kid. So I was just curious to get your perspectives. And I think it's, uh, I think it's really important what you pointed out. Doug, let me just throw in this one thing, and that is sometimes when we get a little enthusiastic or maybe a little overzealous about it, you can go the opposite direction a little too far. I know this happens a lot when you first start learning about it and you get really excited about supplements and kind of all of a sudden forget all about food. And the next thing you know, you're recommending a supplement for every imbalance. And, and we don't want to we don't want to go the other direction to the extreme as well, where now we're recommending quote unquote green medicine, you know, supplements that just replaced maybe a drug. I think it's all about a balance where, you know, f- food is the foundation. And then based on an assessment, we, we determine if supplements, dietary supplements are necessary. We try to use the least amount as necessary. But yeah, that doesn't necessarily uh, mean that supplements have no no application and no use either. So, you know, I think there's a balance. The balance, the truth is somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And you just kind of pulled me there, both of you bringing those points to bear. So yeah, I think I'm, I'm kind of lost sight of that. So that makes perfect sense to me. Just add to, thank you for that, Sheila. I, I think it's really a critical point. And Doug, the other point that you made is, yes, dietetics was founded and grounded in, in food, food-based therapies. And we all appreciate a food is medicine approach. And it really is, even in our integrative and functional nutrition care plan, it's where we start. Absolutely. So I think that, but, you know, we clearly have seen the the value of supplements when used wisely and mm-hmm. with a good, good knowledge base. You know, I just you know, checked, uh, there's a conference at Scripps on the use of dietary supplements and natural products each year. And what really, I guess, I'm just going to say it frustrated me is that there was not one registered dietitian on the faculty for that conference. And I think that, you know, it's, um, and as we know, many and, and I'm not saying this to is, is a negative, but you know how much nutrition training is there in medical schools? In fact, we started almost 20 years ago a national program called Food is Medicine, you know, in this country because of because of that that there wasn't any nutrition at the time in, in medical schools. But you know the fact that perhaps we as dietitians are not valued for our knowledge and and role in the area of dietary supplements concerns me, concerns me, which is why, you know, we have included so, you know, obviously a good knowledge base in our training program. I think it's really, really been a major gap 
in our traditional training. Yeah, and I what you're as you're talking, you're making me you're reminding me that this is probably largely largely an issue of, of confidence. So it does take yes. training. It has it's being aware of the research. It's being aware of the supplements on the market, the formulas. If you're taking vitamin D, is it just the dose, or is it the ideal blood concentration? Right. There's lots to consider, which is why training is good. And, and it's great that your program has a lot of that as, as I'm just scanning the, the modules here, which we'll talk about in a second. I just yeah. wondered if, uh, out of curiosity, do clients come to you too because they know you practice this way? Or do, you, do they come to you because you're a dietitian and it's introduced? And the reason I'm asking is, if they don't really know about it, and they hear about it, I'm just wondering what the response is like, because I've had people come to me and I'm a little embarrassed and upset when they've said they've gone to other dietitians and they've, you know, been, quote, useless or of no help, which is disheartening because of everything we've been talking about. There's missed opportunities and huge learning gaps that could be filled. But I'm wondering if people come to you because specifically because you're a functional nutritionist or they learn about it and what the reaction is like. Yeah, Doug, for this is Kathy. For me, yes, patients come to me because over the years they, you know, recognize, and I even position myself on my website and such as an integrative and functional dietitian nutritionist. So they kind of know and, and actually seek that type of approach to their health care. And, you know, something. You know, you mentioned that, fr- did you say that it frustrated you? About- when, well, it frustrated me and it was embarrassing. Yes, and, and I want to me- comment on that. Okay. Because yes, that happens to me also. And I really believe that it's, it's important for the patient, for the person that you know, we're establishing a therapeutic relationship with, I don't want to add more stress, perhaps to that experience. I want to acknowledge that every person, every practitioner, and in this case, you know, a dietitian that they may have seen, as I believe, done their best to provide based on their knowledge base, based on their you know, training and background, I really do believe that all healthcare providers have good intentions. So I like to approach it from, you know, a a collaborative spirit. I also want to add that when I first got into this, which was, you know, decades ago, and I got into it because my on-ramp was a kind of one of these mysterious chronic complex illnesses and and interestingly it's i've come to learn sometimes the reason why other dietitians seek this type of training out when they have um, tried you know other approaches and, and nothing you know nothing is working i initially was met with a great resistance. And I will say that the interesting part of this story is I was at a very, what I thought was progressive lifestyle resort. In fact, one of the top in our country here, but they were not using a functional lens, a functional medicine approach. And long story short, 
Um, I think the way we can approach, whether it's people listening out there who are in healthcare, you know, clinics, institutions, wherever, and you embrace this model, I just, you know, proceed with an open heart, open, open mind, a collaborative spirit. I had to use a lot of diplomacy, but I persisted. Another, you know, kind of pearl I want to give is reach out to those who perhaps are your mentors in this area, to others. I reached out to some of my teachers back then, Dr. Jeffrey Bland, who's considered the father of functional medicine, Dr. Sidney Baker, maybe the grandfather of functional medicine, Dr. Leo Gallen, well-versed in gut, and actually brought those types, uh, those thought leaders into the facility because I wanted them to hear it not just from Kathy Swift, but from others. So sometimes building a group, starting a book club, an article, reading The Disease Delusion by Dr. Bland, or, you know, a, a particular research article. I sent one to someone who contacted us today through the Integrative and Functional Nutrition Academy on a study done with regard to rheumatoid arthritis and a very you know, excellent, um, unique approach with an anti-inflammatory diet. So I think, I think there's ways that we can build a collaborative movement in the integrative and functional nutrition landscape, so to speak, that is, is very positive and inspiring. It is. And I think it's like, it's, it should, it shouldn't be the future. It's going to be the future. It should have been this way the whole way. But I applaud people like you and Sheila, because I tend to give up on things. And I just, when I get hit up against resistance and that kind of thing, it just makes me want to just kind of just do my own thing. So I think that's everything that you pointed out is like really amazing to highlight uh, in terms of like the collaboration, et cetera. So yeah, there's still resistance. I'm, I'm wondering if, you know, the whole part of learning is you have to get uncomfortable when you're rethinking yes. something. Yes. It's not fun. I mean, it took me forever. I was the food guide, low fat, you know, carb, mm-hmm. carb, carb kind of guy. And then I was on back, this is way back, there was these chat boards when the internet first came out and there's people talking about the zone diet. Like, and I was saying, oh my God, it's dangerous. It's low carb. And, you know, it's like, it's the space on your plate. And I was just indignant and I was just, you know, a bit arrogant. And it really, so there's, it's hard to think that what you might have learned might not be the best. I mean, this is me talking. So it is what we maybe know, knew at the time, but I think it, it's just uncomfortable to kind of think like, damn, I may have to think this and, and that's never fun, right? You know, I, I wanted to mention real quick that, you know, Kathy and I are huge fans of the, the, the training and the work that our registered dietitians do. And which is why, you know, if now, which we, we like to call the integrative and functional nutrition is really geared for the dietitian. Of course, we do have other nutrition and health, other healthcare practitioners in the program, but primarily dietitians. And part of the reason is because, you know, what we're seeing is that other healthcare professionals, including if you want to call, put them in that category, health coaches, but nurses, 
acupuncturists, chiropractors, they have all figured out that nutrition is a key part of patient healing. And this is why everybody tries to incorporate nutrition in their practices. And and so it starts to become a bit of a turf war. And so one of the reasons why Kathy and I are so passionate and adamant about getting this information out there is because, as you said, Doug, dietitians are so perfectly positioned. They get all this wonderful training. They really are ideally positioned to be the disseminators of functional nutrition. And so, you know, just try, just have to try every day to not so much focus on the ones that are, that this information is going to fall on a deaf ear because everybody has a choice and it's, you know, everyone has a prerogative. It's their prerogative to, to however, whatever approach you want to take. But there are a lot of people, a lot of dietitians who are very interested, but just need a little encouragement and need some training so that they have a coherent organized and coherent knowledge about how to approach these cases because it's a little intimidating. You know, where do I start? And so investing in yourself, I think is a a really important concept. And whether it's our program or some other program, I think that dietitians, um, we're we're huge fans and we really want to make sure that dietitians get more and more credit and more and more knowledge and more involved in integrative and functional nutrition. So to that point, you two are the founders of an amazing online program, the Integrative and Functional Nutrition Academy. So it's very clinically oriented. It's all online, I believe, with amazing mentorship. When I think of the lineup, and you, know, you can point to, uh, we'll point everybody to the website later, medical doctors, scientists, nurse practitioners, it's really well-rounded, and it even includes naturopathic doctors and holistic health counselors, which of course would be seen as the enemy back in the day. So <laughs> it's very inclusive in that way, which is hugely important. So would I, rather than me just kind of going through this stuff on the website, like, would you like to take a few minutes just talking about your program and how it works and what it offers dietitians who will be listening? Well, you know, the IFNA online training program, as you mentioned, is um, 100% online. We are accredited providers of approximately a little more than 220 CEUs or continuing education units by the CDR in the United States. Whether that transfers over for dietitians in Canada, I'm not 100% sure, but we actually do have quite a few Canadian dietitians. So you might be able to actually, Doug, help us learn if the CEUs that we offer are accepted by the organization that dietitians in Canada report to. But going back to the program, so you so there are 33 modules, and these 33 modules are divided into five tracks. It's a lot like a fellowship or a specialty where, you know, it takes about a minimum of nine months to really a maximum of two years to matriculate through each module. And we estimate that each module takes between seven to 10 hours to, to complete. It's very thorough. There are nine components to every module that include a, a clinical toolkit, you know, the video, access to a forum where you can ask questions 24-7, additional resources, research papers. I mean, there's all kinds of things, brandable handouts, patient handouts, PowerPoint slides, clinical protocols. It's loaded. It's loaded. The other thing is that it all leads ultimately to an advanced 
practice credential. So when you're done, there is a peer-reviewed board exam that you then take. And when, you know, hopefully you've completed and passed that, you then earn the IFNCP, which stands for the Integrative and Functional Nutrition Certified Practitioner, which is really becoming the gold standard for functional nutrition. So that when a dietitian earns her credential or his credential, you know, he or she now is distinguishing themselves as someone who's gone through formal training, taken a peer-reviewed board exam, and we've been able to provide opportunities for IFNCPs that help kind of move them forward in their field. Yeah. So what I find interesting to put it in perspective for listeners is there's 100,000, I believe, dietitians in the US, about 10,000, just less than 10,000 in Canada. And there, I know the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics has a chapter or network for whatever the term is, DITHM, which stands for Dietitians in Integrative and Functional yeah, um, Medicine. Right. So there's more dietitians in that chapter than there all are in all of Canada. So it really just speaks to the growth and the interest of where this is going. And so we wouldn't get, we don't need CDEs here. We just, every year we renew our license and we have to set two learning goals. But the the point is, it really is a beautifully organized program that provides these this training in a, in a stepwise manner. And then it's nothing that's, we still operate within our scope of practice. So we can't do finger pricks, we can't order blood work, but you can use the knowledge within these to apply them to the best and to the full extent that you can within scope. So it may not be recognized formally like an RD designation, but it really does provide structure for people to tackle whatever they want to and to use whatever they want to. I mean, they may, they want to start out using 10% of their knowledge. It's just, it's baby steps and you go from there. That's why we divided the modules into the five tracks. It's more chunkable <laughs> and more bite-sized, so to speak. So, you know, a dietitian can get started with track one, which is six modules and, you know, take a little break. And then when they're ready, they can then register for track two. So, you know, you don't actually have to register for the entire program at once. It's it's done in stages. And I think it makes it a little bit more manageable. We are offering a coupon um, for anyone listening to this podcast. They're welcome to use okay. the coupon get started 20% or 20% sign, right? And that will get you 20% off of track one. So I have a, a question could somebody jump to track four, which I'm looking at now, and it's really interesting. It's the Doug, you read my mind. Yes. I was yes. going to, I was, Sheila did such a great job of describing the program, but I was just going, think, sitting here thinking that, yes, we have had many dietitians that have looked at the program and said, you know what, could I start with track four, which is, as you can see, they're totally, well, you might not be able to see, but totally taught by dietitians. And it's the therapeutic elimination diets track. And I will say it's, it's one of my favorite favorite tracks. It's, you know, certainly covers um, everything from you know, keto to specific carbohydrate and, and the list goes on. So yes, someone could yeah. start with, with that track, track four. 
ultimately the 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 only requirement is that if they if someone would like to earn the advanced practice credential they would have to complete all five tracks we also have another right. option and that is not necessarily everyone although most are interested in the credential for those who don't really want to take the board exam they they can take the first four tracks and we'll send them a certificate of training that basically just states that they've, you know, gone through the program or the training, but they they haven't actually earned a credential. So we actually have both a certificate and we offer the credential. And then, of course, the third way to interact with the program is for dietitians in the U.S. If all they're really looking for are some extra CEUs, they can just take track one. And, you know, they'll get something like 46 or 47 CEUs and, you know, they don't necessarily have to keep going. So there's a little something for everyone, depending on what it is that you're looking for. One of the other things that I really uh, appreciate is that it's not, this is not the school of Sheila and Kathy. We have an amazing faculty where we have, you know, 33 different modules and different instructors, different faculty experts leading these different modules. And you're really learning from the best of the best, which we think is a much better model than one person teaching the same module again and again. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So I've taken a course like that, and I wish I'd found this one first. And I don't want to convince everybody they don't need tracks one, two, three. But I know track four, if it's by dietitians for dietitians, because I know so many people, I'm on a Facebook page on dietitian support page on Facebook. And people will be asking like, what the heck is a low histamine diet? Or do people have anything on the paleo or specific carbohydrate diet? So this whole module is this would be a goldmine in terms of the structured overview and and implementation of these diets. So I guess I'm just talking about myself here because I'm finding (laughs) that hugely interesting. So, well, I really want to be conscious of the time because I've taken up a lot of your time and I've really, really enjoyed it. And I know everyone else is really, really going to enjoy it. I think that coupon is great. So again, it's get started 20 and the percent sign for track one. And if people want to learn more about the Academy or each of you, where can we find more about all of that? The easiest and fastest way to get a response is to simply go to the website, which is ifnacademy.com. And at the very top there, you'll see a tab that says contact us. And if you fill that out, we get that immediately. We respond. We say we respond within 48 hours, but it's more like within 48 minutes for the most part, except for weekends. But we we do respond very quickly. And if someone would like a personal call, we do our best to do that. Of course, internationally, we'd, we will have to figure that out. But, you know, yeah, so just fill out your name and email or in a way to reach you and we'll get back with you with any of your questions. Great. Anything from Kathy? You know, that's good. I, I think that's a, that's a wrap. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Doug. It was really wonderful to be here and, and share this, this conversation. Great. So thanks to you both. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Hit subscribe and get ready to expand your nutritional world perspective and gain confidence in a way that you didn't know you could. And be sure to check out my website, dougcookrd.com.